Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. Throughout the last year and a half, there have been a lot of things under the microscope. Things and ways of living that had long been taken for granted and that we never really questioned. One of those things is cities, the great urban landscapes that many of us call home. Cities are perhaps one of humanity's greatest inventions. They are hubs for creativity, innovation, wealth, and of course, for connection. However, as the global COVID crisis has redefined our relationship to cities, what does the future of urbanism look like? We've seen our own downtown here in Detroit adapt to much smaller crowds with more people working from home. And even our happy hours and socializing have adapted and taken on really different forms. Last year, we all heard about the so-called great migration of people away from cities and out into exurbs and smaller towns as people took full advantage of the geographic flexibility afforded to a lot of us through the emergence of remote work. We've also seen in the latest census numbers an increase, at least here in southeast Michigan, in the leaving of Detroit and the growth of our suburbs. And that growth looks different today than it did 20 or 30 years ago. We are now at a point, for instance, in Southeast Michigan, where there are more African Americans living outside the city of Detroit than inside the city of Detroit. It's a little asterisk in the census numbers that hasn't gotten a whole lot of discussion, but that I think is a significant marker of change. So the question is, how permanent are these changes? And are we on the brink of a really different world in which urban centers are not the center of life that they have been for so much of our country's history? My next guest joins me to contemplate all these questions and many of the other ideas that are laid out in his new book. David Cutler is the Otto Eckstein Professor of Applied Economics in the Department of Economics at Harvard University. And he's the co-author of the newly released book, Survival of the City, Living and Thriving in an Age of Isolation. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be with you. So I'm curious, how, how long have you been thinking about this reality, about the changing landscape of our cities. When did this kind of first get your attention? You know, it has been for uh, quite a while, and then COVID sped it up. But of course, even before COVID, we were having debates about police brutality in city after city. There were fights about gentrification battles, particularly on the West Coast, where housing supply is very restricted and demand was very high. But even in Boston and uh, uh, other places on the East Coast and through the Midwest, we've had issues of schools that were not providing the education to all the students that they ought to. So those were all kind of festering issues for cities. And then what COVID did, as you were saying, is it really brought them front and center because people said, you know, if the city isn't working for me, maybe I can just go elsewhere. Or maybe as a whole as a whole business, we should move out to the suburbs or somewhere else or to a different state. 
So it's it's sort of made us look at the situation differently and say, you know, maybe we ought to um, reevaluate the whole structure of society. And that's, I think, um, some of what's happening now is is we're saying, what do we what what will society look like, and what do we want it to look like? if and when we get a handle on COVID. Mm-hmm. So um, let's start with with COVID and then I guess maybe pull back to the larger discussion of what was happening to cities for quite a while before uh, the pandemic. Uh, as I said in the open, you can't come to a city like Detroit and not notice the dramatic difference uh, between uh, pre-COVID activity and uh, and I want I don't want to say post COVID because we're not quite through all of it yet. But certainly, uh, you know, a year and a half in, we are dealing with it uh, quite differently. But our cities don't seem to be teeming with quite the level of activity as they were before. Uh, in August, uh, early August, I was in Chicago for the first time in in a few years, uh, and I was there on a weekday. And I remember walking out literally onto Michigan Avenue at about 8.30 in the morning, a place that I used to work uh, some 30 years ago. And I remember how busy it was, how difficult it was to just navigate the sidewalks. Uh, you could have shot a cannon uh, in, the, in the sort of cliched uh, sense uh, down Michigan Avenue that morning and not hit a whole lot of people. So it's not just Detroit. It's, I think it's everywhere. But let's talk about how not just dramatic that is, but how permanent it may be and how it may require those of us who live in and love cities to really think differently about what the future looks like. Yeah, it really is. So, and, and you know, cities were just getting going again, and then Delta, the Delta variant happened. Right. Um, it's, so, so you can imagine what happens. People are, some people are certainly leaving cities, although on net, there's still a flow into them. But you could, but what, what, will happen for some people is that they'll say, you know, people living in the suburbs who have been commuting into cities, they'll say, you know, I don't need this. I think I'll, I'll look for a job out in the suburbs or maybe the whole business will move. And so that will be the, the, the first order um, thing for some cities that can be catastrophic. So if it's a big firm that says, you know, I don't need to be in the downtown or I don't even need to be in this city at all. My employees are scattered all over. Why don't I think about where I want to go? So for some cities, that could absolutely be catastrophic. For other cities, it actually creates an opportunity because there are at least two kinds of things that one can do instead. One is many cities are looking for space for kind of scrappy startups, you know, and they've been priced out mm-hmm. by big firms that, you know, big established firms that are using a lot of space. Like here in Boston, we had a sort of innovation district that, you know, almost got taken over by big firms. Uh, until we said, you know, put size limits on things. So so it's possible we can have more startups that way. And then the other possibility is that um, some business can be turned into housing, particularly, you know, not suburban housing, but that's not what everyone wants. So some people want, particularly younger people, want a smaller footprint where that's near a lot of things and near restaurants and so on. And so I would expect that some cities will transform themselves that way into being more of a kind of younger 
it, younger spot than a than a sort of older um, suburban spot. Hmm. That will be okay. Each of those would be fine. So it, you know, and and you know, we we need to find housing for people, and we need to be able to um, uh, to to create space for startup businesses. The worry is going to be cities, and Detroit is an example of them. Cities where you may not have that capacity always at the ready. And so the movement out could create a lot of problems before you have a chance to fix them. And so those are the kinds of cities that are going to have to pay the most attention is the, the you know, what, what do I do if a big employer moves out or if people who are paying a lot of taxes move out and then my tax base falls a lot. And so th- those are going to be the hardest issues that cities are going to have to deal with. Hmm. And as we deal with those issues, I mean, the, the, there is a, a sense of urgency and almost crisis in some places. Detroit, I think, is is one of them where I think the instinct is to is to try to reimagine things very quickly. Uh, is that the wrong instinct to follow? And I guess that kind of gets us to not just COVID, but the broader picture here where cities were changing anyway and there were things that we probably needed to be doing. So are we right to have just a little sense of panic about all of this? I think we need to proceed with a sense of urgency about it. Um, Issues, so some of the issues that cities will need to address are unrelated to COVID, but they've been brought into the fore by COVID. So for example, things like police brutality issues where we where you know the, where those are going on you have the city no longer becomes as nice an environment for everyone and that is a bad thing particularly if people are feeling footloose as we were talking about mm-hmm. so i think that cities are going to have to address some of those relatively rapidly similarly um it's not going to be as rapid a fix but things like education policy where making schools work for everybody and not just for Maybe higher achieving kids or um, uh, kids who have who have the backgrounds that can uh, do well. So that's not going to be as quick a fix, but those are things that can uh, that can absolutely uh, happen. I think other things are going to require much more thought. So, for example, one of the things that we've learned is that a city is really only as healthy as the least healthy people in it. Hmm. So, you know, here in Boston. Um, we have areas of the city that are very healthy and areas that are less healthy and areas that are less healthy are much more exposed to COVID and COVID uh, rates are higher and hospitalizations are higher. And that then affects everyone because then everybody says, well, I'm not sure I can go on the T or the buses or into crowded spaces. And so you wind up affecting the entire, the entirety of the area not just some areas. And so we're going to have to address the fact that the, that cities are going to depend on the the health of everyone is going to be important in the in the future cities, not just you know what what not not just I care about only what's happening in my area. That's going to be you can't do that on a dime, but we're going to have to start working on that. So we're going to have to say what is it that we can do to affect the least healthy and the least well off uh, areas and people so that we can all manage to stay healthy. Hmm. Hmm. 
Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with uh, David Cutler uh, of Harvard University, author of the new book, Survival of the City, Living and Thriving in an Age of Isolation. want to hear from you as well. What do you think of the changing city, the changing city that we live in here in Detroit, uh, the changing city that we are challenged by right now? How did the pandemic change the way that you think of Detroit, whether you call it home or not? Uh, How did it change your perception of other cities or of urbanism generally? Uh, Do you go downtown less? Uh, Have you started finding yourself gravitating back to some of the suburban places uh, rather than urban centers. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WBET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is David Cutler. He's a professor of applied economics at Harvard University and co-author of the newly released book, Survival of the City, Living and Thriving in an Age of Isolation. Uh, We are talking about the future of cities, the future of our city here in Detroit and the way it's being changed, not only by COVID, uh, but by several other trends that have been at work for a really long time, and what we ought to be doing to try to adapt to those changes. How should Detroit change to not just survive, but to thrive? And, of course, as always, on this program, we are talking about how that question plays out for people uh, of different means, of different backgrounds. Uh, All of these questions look really different depending uh, on the wealth that you have, in many cases, depending on your ethnic background or your religion, we see that play out in Detroit an awful lot. We see it play out in migration patterns, in growth and decline, all of those things. We want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Colin, tell us how you're thinking of the city, our city right now. Uh, are you thinking uh, that you might stay away from it more than you did before? Are you someone who worked in downtown Detroit who now is able to work remotely and therefore you're not coming down nearly as much, if at all. Uh, Also, are you somebody who has moved to Detroit, into the city uh, at some point recently, or has moved away from the city? Uh, the, the, The census results that we are pouring over right now have a very interesting wrinkle in them, in that uh, for the first time in uh, perhaps all of history here in Southeast Michigan, uh, there are more African-Americans living outside the city of Detroit than inside the city of Detroit. That is uh, a dimension that we are going to be talking about in the coming weeks here on the show. We're trying to uh, put some really interesting conversations together uh, about that development. But in the context of this discussion, it's also a really interesting point to note. Uh, there are migration patterns taking place that have to do with uh, the rise or the fall of urbanism in terms of popularity, in, term, in terms of appeal, 
uh, for people who live here. Uh, give us a call and tell us how you're thinking through all of this uh, here in the city of Detroit. 313-577-1019 is the number, as always, on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work into the conversation. Let's start with Eric in Detroit. Eric, what's on your mind? Hi. Hey. Uh, my question is uh, related to, um, my, particularly in Detroit, um, you know, populations are, are declining in cities, yet rents aren't telling that same story. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering, can you answer um, uh, why that is sort of taking place? And, and you mentioned commercial real estate as a possibility for, for people to move in. But um, do you think some of those big projects that were uh, underway pre-COVID um, a lot of those developers don't want to lose out on those costs. Mm. So, uh, can, yeah, can you just kind of explain how um, it's going to be less expensive um, when it doesn't seem to be the case uh, right now? Oh, really interesting question, Eric. I'm glad you called and asked that. David Cudler, what's the answer? Yeah, so actually um, on net, people are moving from uh, rural areas into cities, into urban areas, and they have been for most of the last uh, century or so. Um, so that's, you know, the, the sort of, if you will, the frontier, the place where you go to make your, your, your homestead used to be the West and now it's, uh, and now it's a city. Um, that's not true of every city. And so Detroit is one of the few cities that had actually been declining in population for some time, but the vast bulk of cities had been increasing Mm -hmm. in population. And that's why, and so, so that's partly why the rents are going up. The other factor in rents and prices going up is that many cities have been um, quite difficult to build in through a variety of building restrictions. This is particularly true of coastal cities like in California and Oregon and Washington, and including my own city of, of uh, Boston and others along the East Coast. So you have very you have very productive cities. Wages are high, lots of demand for workers, and so on. And yet, people are not moving to those cities as much because they can't afford to live there. The prices are just exorbitant. So what you're seeing is a couple of things. One is people moving to other cities that are much better in terms of the building environment. So mm. think about Nashville or Houston or Phoenix or places like that, where house prices are a quarter to a third of what they are in, say, uh, the San Francisco area. And the other thing that's happening is that people are moving to the outskirts of cities. So the population of Los Angeles is not growing, but the population of the areas just outside of Los Angeles is soaring. And the same is true of San Francisco and other sorts of areas. And so you're so because of this lack of supply, even with incredible demand for living there, prices are going up. People are being pushed farther and farther out. They have longer commutes. Um, and it's creating all these battles over who gets to live where. So it's it's both. So, so the cities are going to have to address the supply issue. It's really just terrible. Um, and then uh, o- overall, what we hope that cities are still places where people can be safe so that people will really want to continue living in them. They are the most productive areas in the country. They're the most productive areas in the planet is in urban areas. So it'd be a shame if, if all of a sudden we decided we didn't like them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, Eric, uh, really appreciate the call and the really provocative question. Let's go to Rebecca in Detroit. Rebecca, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi. 
Go ahead. Um, sorry. Um, I wanted to talk about all of the different jobs that it takes to support stay-at-home workers and white-collar workers. Um, I've heard this topic about changing cities and changing work in and after the pandemic. A lot of times when people aren't talking about those support roles and how if there's no support or incentive to be in those roles, the rest of these changes and the rest of these white-collar workers can't really thrive or exist at all. Mm. Hmm. Uh, really interesting observation, Rebecca. Uh, David Cutler, this gets to some of what we had begun talking about in terms of, I guess, the difference in the ways that urbanism versus uh, exurbanism uh, affects people, that, that money has a lot to do with it uh, and, and work, as Rebecca points out, does as well. It, it, Rebecca is exactly right. You know, the, the, what COVID uh, was in many ways was a, an enormous impact, particularly on women. Mm-hmm. So uh, women who were working and had kids in school and, you know, that's how they were making things go by and the elderly parents and so on now found that um, the, the, they needed to be working from home, but the kids were at home and they didn't trust putting the elderly parents in the in uh, a long-term care facility or anything like that and all of a sudden things came crashing down for women um for the previous decade or two things had come crashing down for men you know so for men who used to work in manufacturing jobs and in plants and so on the life had become very difficult and now uh covid did the same for women and and that's a shock from which we'll have to see how well we can recover as a society, how well we can support the recovery as a society, because um, you can't have a situation where, you know, half the workforce is female, but then you're saying, oh, I really need you to be doing three jobs at the same time, you know, caring for kids and caring for elderly people and, and doing full-time work and, and so on. So, so, so <clears throat> how that affects the long-term status of women in particular, but as, as you're saying, in general, people who, um, uh, who who need help in order to be able to go to work is really uh, very important, and we 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 weren't able to do that in the first phase of COVID. So hopefully we'll figure out better how to do it going forward. Hmm. Yeah, uh, let's go to Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to the show. You there, Terry? Oh, I don't know that we have Terry. Uh, Terry. Uh, call us back, and uh, and we'll get you. Uh, we'll get you into. We'll get you back into uh, the queue, um, uh, David. I want to talk a little about the ways in which government and business can work together uh, mm-hmm. to to try to deal with these challenges that we have in cities, especially in places like uh, like Detroit, where business had been playing such a role in. Uh, in growing our downtown in particular, lots of other problems in other parts of the city. Uh, but but downtown really had come back on the on the strength of business uh, investment. what's What's that partnership look like as we deal with the challenge of people maybe not being so interested in being in in big downtowns? Yeah, you it's it's an extremely interesting issue because um, businesses and cities have, sometimes adversarial relationships and sometimes um, 
coordinated re relationship. So the adversarial version is, look, you give me tax breaks or I'm going to go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the cooperative version is, look, we want to be here. You want us here. Let's figure out how we can all make this work. And it's super important that we do the cooperative version. And so, so everyone would like that. The difficulty comes in also that cities, there's a, cities are under a lot of pressure to be activist, to redistribute money, to change policing, to uh, change education systems, to address COVID disparities, to address other longstanding disparities. If that can be done in a cooperative way, it could be great for everyone. If that's done in a way which is, you know, go back to the old New York City formula, which is if you're rich, we're going to tax you and, you know, we're just going to see how many people don't move out of New York City, um, then it could be very bad. And then cities will lose a lot of their, their, their high wage people, which is important to a great extent because of the tax, tax collection that comes from them. So it's going to be really important for city management to be collaborative and to, and to say, we need to address these issues. We all of us need to. So let's figure out how we're all going to do it as opposed to, you know, we're going to impose this and assume that everyone's going to go along with it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, David Cutler, professor of applied economics at Harvard University and co-author of the newly released book, Survival of the City, Living and Thriving in an Age of Isolation. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank us. you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we are going to continue our WDET Summer Book Club conversations about the Constitution. This time we are going to look at the ways in which the Supreme Court justices have shaped the court and our understanding of the Constitution uh, itself. Uh, all of these conversations that we've had about the U.S. Constitution have been really wonderful. I'm really looking forward, though, uh, to tomorrow's. The court and its justices uh, are themselves a shadowy part of the way that constitutional law is interpreted and affects American lives. Tomorrow we're going to try to pull the curtains back just a little bit and talk about who some of those uh, justices are are some of those justices were and the different ways uh, in which they have shaped our understanding of uh, the U.S. Constitution. So uh, come back tomorrow for that conversation. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.